is Anton Bendaszewski, Director of Research at Danube Institute, and this is the Matter of Perspective Geopolitical Podcast of Danube Institute. I would like to welcome our guests today, Zoltan Ekeresi, who is a research fellow at uh, Center for Strategic and Defense Studies, University of Public Service, and David Nagy, who is a research fellow at Danube Institute. In today's podcast issue, we will talk about the energy flows coming through Western Balkan, and mainly the reason of the podcast, because in the last one year, several really huge uh, energy projects were completed uh, in the region. Just to mention a few, uh, LNG terminal in uh, Croatia, Kirk, was uh, made operational in the beginning of this year. Then we have the TANAP project completed in the end of last year. And there's also Turkish Stream, which also was made operational in the beginning of last year. So within one, one and a half year, several really huge Uh, energy projects, mainly gas projects, were completed, which may help Europe to diversify its energy flows. But the question is, my first question is, will it really help Europe to diversify energy flows? Zoltan. So first of all, uh, good afternoon and thank you for the invitation. And now uh, I would like to answer your question, uh, especially concerning the Balkans and the greater context. Uh, So... I think the first point that we have to take into consideration that what uh, uh, does the European Union really want? So as recently we entered in the, into the, let's say, era of uh, European and Green Deal with a kind of uh, goal to uh, reach a neutral uh, emission by 2050, I think at least at vocal level, very robust political rhetoric and ambitions. Uh, I think that, and, and the European Union in line and the, and the banks of the European Union in line with this uh, ambition started to decarbonize the members' markets or the members' energy uh, infrastructure or structure, which has a kind of triggering effect towards the neighborhood, especially for the countries who would like to become sooner or later, either sooner than later, the member of the European Union, so the Western Balkan countries. Uh, so this whole situation um, resulted in a kind of really... Uh, transitional periods. Uh, I think it's a really important point to understand what is going on in the in uh, southeastern Europe from the European Union level, because in this context, the European Union behaves as a kind of regulatory state, uh, issuing orders, uh, regulations, uh, directives, and so on, what different members can do or they shouldn't do, and so on. And especially the financial uh, part, which is always the most important, probably, if uh, member states in the region or uh, aspirant uh, states in the Western Balkans cannot get enough EU funding to construct various uh, renewable energy um, infrastructure or just somehow uh, replace their existing coal plants uh, or, or, or gas infrastructures, do something else, they will be in a really, let's say, a bad situation. I think it's really important and probably the most important uh, effect or it will be the most important uh, um, uh, political and financial circumstance for these countries in the upcoming years, probably the upcoming decade. And on the other hand, we can see uh, other actors, external actors, uh, appearing in the market and influencing the uh, not just the Balkan countries, but we can also mention Turkey, which in a given context is part of the Balkan. Uh, so external actors who would like to, let's say, of course, uh, enter in the business and see some money, uh, which is totally uh, acceptable, but also these actors have uh, different geopolitical considerations as well. So right now I'm talking about Russia and the United States. If you look at this pipeline project, yeah, it's really easy to see. It's so apparent that Russia is the main 
engine of this project uh, due to geopolitical reason because it would like to uh, circumvent Ukraine to avoid the Ukrainian dependency, which I think they started to, to reach the same. Uh, that's why uh, they uh, wanted to launch years ago, many years ago, the project of uh, South Stream, which was uh, practically hindered by the European Commission and Bulgaria uh, withdrew uh, from this project. And after that, uh, Vladimir Putin, president of Russia, decided to just cancel it. And really shortly after, uh, he came up, came up with the idea when he was in Turkey that he, uh, Russia would build a new pipeline, the Turk Stream, which is, as you mentioned, is already uh, operational. But also the Russians have other projects and other uh, pipelines in the region. But I think this development, uh, which finally reached its goal uh, recently, yeah, it's a really palpable issue. And by doing, by Constructing these pipelines, uh, they managed to uh, link not just Turkey, but Bulgaria, Serbia, and right now they are at the border uh, of Hungary. And seemingly right now, Hungary will be the last uh, chain or the last link in this chain. We are talking about Turkish stream. Yeah, the Turkish stream. Yeah. So the, from this respect, the Russian uh, energy supply, gas energy supply in the region uh, started to increase. And even if uh, several sections of the Turkish stream wasn't uh, officially built by the Gazprom, but financed by Russia, uh, they booked the ultimate majority of the capacity of these sections. Like in, I'm talking about Bulgaria, for example, but we can see the same in, in Serbia. Okay, there are the majorities in Russia hand. But anyway, so Russia is, uh, is, is a really important actor. And uh, also in line with this Russian expansion, the United States, which is a kind of geopolitical adversary of Moscow, uh, tried to influence the Balkan states to not to uh, have too much room for, uh, for Russia. Seemingly, it's, it had really limited uh, achievements, but uh, due to the uh, price changes of uh, natural gas and uh, market changes like uh, today or nowadays the LNG terminals and LNG uh, liquefied natural gas has become more feasible and it's also let's say really helped the construction of the LNG terminal in Creek in island of Creek uh, in, in in Croatia which can help to diversify the Croatian supply, and but also it will help to Hungary. And as far as I know, uh, this year Hungary has already arranged a deal with an American. Yeah, we will talk supplier. about the, the, okay. the, <laughs> okay. the Hungarian part and the energy yeah. terminal later. Uh, let's um, focus now on the the sources of the gas, because basically, on the one hand, Europe has a clear goal to diversify its energy flows and make it stable and, and secure. However, on the other hand, it's always the question from where the gas is coming from. And now it's majority of the gas import to Europe is coming from Russia. Well, there are other players, like you mentioned, United States. There are fields of uh, gas fields of Azerbaijan. Then we have uh, Qatar, for example. So the question is, if the other sources coming from these countries like Azerbaijan or Qatar, if they can really make the difference for Europe, can they compete with the Russian gas on the markets of, of Europe or European Union? David, I don't know if you can uh, comment on that. Yeah, I would like to welcome all of our listeners firstly. And then let me just give some data about what you just mentioned. When we talk about the European Union and the uh, dependence energy dependency of the european union uh, there are some data which needs to be highlighted for example the eu dependency rate was equal to 61 percent in 2019 which means that the the energy sources which need for the consumers in the in the Europe, european union 
came from external sources. And which is the other very important thing that 61% of, of dependency Russia gives when we talk about gas, gas uh, supplies, Russia give 41% of the gas uh, supplies of the European Union, which, which means a, a big and a very, very serious need in the European Union to diversify these supplies. And when we talk about, uh, talk about energy dependency, of course, most of the times we talk about that, yeah, we, we need to diversify the sources, the countries we import the, the energy, uh, from, but it of course it needs to be highlighted that the transit countries also have a significant role in the continuity and uh, in the prices of the of the imported gas. For example, when we talk about Ukraine, the the need of these new pipelines that we will talk about later, the Southern Gas Corridor or the Turk Stream, was because the European Union realized that somehow Ukraine needs to be bypassed in in case of or due to make sure that the energy supplies will come continuously to the European Union. So all of the, the new projects or the projects with, which just been realized in the recent years have the clear goal that to divert the sources of the European Union regarding energy and to somehow bypass those transit countries, it proved to be a bit fragile in that sense and can uh, support or can provide continuous and secure energy supply. So that is the justification of, of those new pipelines beyond other reasons as well, of course. Yeah, there was, as Oli already mentioned, uh, there was another project uh, called South Stream and which was basically supported by Russia. And there was another one called Nabucco, which was supported by European Union. For over a decade, the European Union was planning to build uh, the pipeline, but finally it failed. Both the European Union and actually Russia has also failed to build South Stream. However, in the end, Russia somehow bypassed all those regulations and built a Turk Stream, which kind of a similar project to the South Stream. So Zoltan, why are these projects, especially the European Union's project, failed? Why Brussels uh, did not manage to secure the, the basic need to diversify the energy flows and bring new gas supplies to Europe? What was the main reason? Yeah, it was, of course, a complex issue. Uh, but I think the biggest problem was uh, from the first links of this chain. So concerning Nabucco, uh, the plan were to get uh, and, uh, and transport natural gas from uh, the Middle East, which was uh, and still is a kind of unstable region uh, in the interreach of the European Union. So there were plans to uh, get gas from Iran or Iraq, uh, but uh, the interest... And also Turkmenistan. Yeah, uh, but, but uh, unfortunately, from this point of view, the infrastructure is um, uh, it's, it's not enough developed. On one hand, on the other hand, concerning the Caspian region, there are uh, decade-long frontier debates, even if some was, was solved, but concerning during the Nebuco time, it, they were under question, uh, and deep tensions even. So there was no oil or energy company to enter in this section, uh, which is from an economic point of view. It's uh, respectable. Uh, there was a war in Iraq, total instability, and even when right to nowadays we have a relatively stable uh, Kurdistan region, 
these are still really uh, working on to get a normal uh, pipeline and supply uh, via Turkey. And I just would like to mention that uh, even if they have several, uh, uh, let's say, a stable, uh, rather stable supply, uh, any kind of terrorist attack uh, from the Kurdistan Workers' Party, which occur, let's say, regularly in eastern Turkey, will uh, will deteriorate this whole situation and and uh, put a burden. So within this context, concerning the Iran as a, as a supplier, yet the Turk have experiences with the Iranian gas uh, and they are a little bit upset because sometimes it's too uh, costly and on the other hand it's also not stable the supply. So that from this respect it's ultimately under it was ultimately under question finally the European Union skipped this project but during the 2010s especially in the first half of this decade uh, new opportunities appeared in the region not in that part of the Middle East but in the Eastern Mediterranean by the discovering of huge uh, gas fields uh, in, um, in, the, in the shores or near to the shores of Israel uh, or Egypt and uh, near to Cyprus, the southern part of the island. Uh, and right now, this uh, issue, these uh, gas fields are uh, in the ultimate limelight uh, from Brussels. And there are lots of uh, questions how the European Union can somehow channel these gas reserves to the European market. Uh, the European Union concerning uh, building of a new pipeline is, seems to be enthusiastic from the Israel in part via Cyprus, toward, via Greece, towards Italy, which seems to be really costly because we have to always talk a little bit about the market prices. Right now, this project is less feasible. On the other hand, we have an energy hub Turkey in the neighborhood, which during last years and the previous years behaved as a kind of uh, a strong man in the region by challenging the Cyprus voters, uh, exclusive economic zones. Cyprus is not even recognized by the Turkish government. So here it's really difficult to make any kind of deal. But last year, since the end of 2019, the Turkish government was uh, have uh, challenged uh, the Greek uh, exclusive economic zones as well. But seemingly uh, that year, uh, since the beginning of this year, uh, we can see a change in Turkish foreign policy. And right now we are in a, and we entered in a kind of uh, detente between Greece, European Union, United States and Turkey. We will see what will happen. But uh, with the current prices, with the current technological issues, with uh, the current political situation, these pipelines in these in this eastern Mediterranean region are also under question. Let's go on with the role of Turkey in the energy supplies. Zoltan already mentioned that, uh, especially in the last decades, Turkey started to play a really um, central role in all of that. What what goals they are seeking? Is it a conscious strategy to become a, a main energy hub in the region? Yeah, if you look at Turkey and its geopolitical role in the region, it can be clearly seen that it has a strategic role which can be bypassed anyhow when we talk about energy as, as well. I mean, even the abandoned projects, the Nabucco and the the South Stream would include Turkey and the Southern Gas Corridor, of course, and the Turk Stream, which has been realized, of course, goes through Turkey, which which gives Turkey really increased Turkey's uh, leverage and, and political and geopolitical uh, power, not just in the region, but increased Turkey's uh, connection with the European Union, which is already is connected with a hundred strings. So are they increasing the importance for European Union? What, what is the main, is it a kind of geopolitical um, tool set 
of, of Turkey to uh, like collect all the possible strings in energy flows to secure and to control the energy flows coming from at least from south and southeast to European Union. Okay, um, yeah, but it's ultimate Turkish aim, geopolitical aim. Uh, if you look at the nar- narrative of the Turkish government, the government officials, you will regularly find some kind of references to this energy hub mission. And I would say that they are uh, doing really well this, this project. Uh, also by uh, constructing uh, new pipelines, uh, we will talk about them. But as I mentioned, the Nabucco failed. But later on, three years ago, yeah, a new pipeline, the Trans-Anatolian pipeline was integrated. So this is a kind of realized uh, Nabucco supplied by uh, Azari uh, gas reserves, which goes via Turkey towards Greece and later on uh, to Italy in the form of Trans-Adriatic Pipeline. Uh, so I think it's a really important uh, issue. And by doing this, uh, Turkey managed to get better prices. So, okay, uh, you have given that you can become a, a given hub, uh, but by as a transit co- becoming a transit country, uh, it has the opportunity to uh, bargain better prices. And this is the same issue with Russia, especially in a time when the gas market is so fluid and uh, it uh, changes so fast. So I think the Turkish position are relatively good. And also Turkey started recent years uh, invest on mass uh, in its uh, gas infrastructure, not just uh, in form of pipelines, but also by creating uh, storage capacities LNG terminals, several LNG terminals in the western coast of the country. So right now, from this respect, the Turkish gas market is relatively in a good shape. Uh, and also Turkey invested en masse to diversify its suppliers, especially after downing the Russian fighters in late uh, 2015. After the first news uh, of Russian sanctions, uh, the first step from the the first move from the Turkish official was to travel to Qatar and other countries in order to bargain uh, LNG supply, and it's seemingly successful, especially if we take into consideration that LNG prices are uh, more feasi- more increasingly feasible for everyone. Uh, so from this point of view, Turkey is doing well, uh, and uh, from from their point of view, yeah, yeah, from <laughs> they of course from their point of view, uh, with uh, Iraqi and Kurdistan, it's also uh, they managed to create a kind of economic dependency. Uh, it's not just based on uh, energy supply or uh, fossil uh, trade, but also in the given, uh, in the greater context, the Iraqi Kurdistan uh, uh, economy is really dependent on the Turkish uh, investors and so on. So Turkey is uh, doing well from their point of view. And also Turkey invested so uh, impressively to become a transport hub, not just uh, energy transport hub, but for example, if you just look at the Turkish airlines policy, it has become during the last years one of the most important company in air transport uh, and making Istanbul a kind of uh, capital of interconnectivity uh, in this in this field. Uh, and it's also just one part of this strategy strategy to become a hub, a kind of hub of everything, uh, even if nowadays the Turkish economy is uh, in a kind of crisis. Just let, let me quickly add the data for this. Turkey imported the highest gas volume from Russia. It was uh, 16 billion cubic meters in 2019. But after the, the real realization of the sovereign gas corridor, imports from Azerbaijan just rose by 20% which means 11 billion cubic meters per year natural gas flowing from the shores of Azerbaijan just to Turkey and an additional 6 uh, billion cubic meters flows through Turkey to Europe which 
of course, just to say it again, it, it gives a huge leverage to Turkey. Let's talk about Turkish stream. I remember long debates about the Turkish stream when uh, Russia started the project because basically South Stream was a project which Russia wanted to connect South Stream to European Union's countries and uh, the pipeline would go through Bulgaria, Romania, Hungary as well, so mainly connected to European Union. On the other hand, the Turkish stream, the situation is completely different. They lined the the pipeline on the bed of uh, Black Sea to uh, the European part of, of Turkey and just connected it to the borders of uh, Bulgaria and Greece. And that from that point, they said, okay, here is the, the pipeline and then do whatever you want with it. But of course, countries wanted to do something with it. Uh, and at the point when Russia just announced the project, everybody was skeptical that who will build the connection to in the Balkans to, to this pipeline and who will bring on the gas coming from the, the Turk stream. So what, what happened to that? Actually, who built the connections and what, what, what is the situation there? Uh, can, can this gas come to Hungary now, for example? It's already at the, the border and even in the concerning the Hungarian construction, uh, as, as I know well, uh, we will construct some 15 kilometers. So it's not a big issue because after that, so in, in, it's uh, in the neighborhood of Horgos, the Hungary, at this Hungarian-Serbian border. So after that, we have our uh, own already finished gas infrastructure. So we don't need to build anything new, let's say. Uh, and concerning the Bulgarian and Serbian uh, section of this pipeline, uh, yeah, and these sections were built by uh, Russian financial support. In case of Bulgaria, uh, the Bulgarian uh, gas companies one subsidiary overtook the project. Concerning Serbia, it was uh, in the hand of Gazprom. Uh, so, but it's important to emphasize that Serbia is not an EU country. And also there were constructions in North Macedonia, which is also not an EU country. And uh, there are plans, we will see what will happen uh, concerning Bosnia and Herzegovina. Can they you know, enlarge uh, this, this pipeline? But uh, I think the point we should talk a little bit uh, um, about um, uh, South Eastern European gas market itself because uh, it's totally different than Western Europe or even uh, Central Europe, uh, because geographically uh, the region has lots of mountains, lots of uh, coal and, um, and lignite reserves, and also lots of forests of wood, uh, which means practically that during the last decades, and especially during communist times when they were electrifying the whole economy, uh, creating their own energy mix, the region was rather uh, focusing on building coal plants, lignite plants, and so on. And still today, this is the situation. Even if we have several uh, nuclear plants, for example, in Romania, usually in these countries, the, the coal plants or the coal is given the highest share, uh, the ultimate share in the energy mix, even if they have some minor uh, water uh, due to the mountainous rivers. Uh, some water plants and so on. These are not that. These are not so important. Uh, and uh, on the other hand, as far as I see, there is a reluctance concerning the the solar energy, the wind energy uh, in the Balkan countries. Why? Because in case of the households, the heating during winter, of course, when it is the most important, really high percent for the household in these households is occurring via electricity, which means that, I don't know, during late afternoon, early evening, they need stable uh, electricity supply. And with solar energy, wind energy is more questionable, but 
from this respect, coal plants are, are ultimately reliable. And we have another reason for this situation, this rather historical one, uh, when during the 60s, 70s and the 80s, the Soviet Union was constructing the huge pipelines from east to west or Germany and so on, they just avoided the region. Yugoslavia wasn't part of the Eastern Bloc, uh, so, and they continued to, to build new and new uh, coal plants. And the only Soviet uh, gas pipeline, the Transbalkan pipeline, was just uh, constructed only in 1987. So let's say by the end of the regime, uh, by connecting Soviet Union, Romania, Bulgaria to Turkey. So it was the first pipeline and, uh, at the end uh, of the Cold War uh, connecting Turkey uh, with Russia. And this is just only one, um, one direction, uh, directional uh, pipeline. So there is no way that Turkey right now could supply, uh, I don't know, Romania, Ukraine via this Trans-Balkan pipeline. It's a really important uh, aspect. And the whole and the other countries of the region practically left, were left behind. Today, there is no gas network uh, infra infrastructure in, in Kosovo, for example. Albania had a minor one. Of course, they get some kilometers uh, due to the geographical reason from the Trans-Adriatic pipeline, but it's still a minor one. Uh, and, uh, and if you look at the energy strategy of these countries right now, you cannot see that much that they are really enthusiastically uh, working on uh, adapt to the EU rules. Even if this last year, several Balkan countries accepted the SOFIA uh, Green Declaration, in line with the EU wishes, practically it's, it's in practice it's so skeptical. We can be so skeptical and even Bulgaria, which is a, a European Union member country, they, for the upcoming decades, they count on their uh, coal reserves, which will be more, I mean, questionable from the European Union green policy. So Russia is the one building pipelines right now there in the Balkans. Yeah, and it's, in several cases, the European Union is uh, financing them. Uh, I mean, not the Russian pipelines, but for example, in case of the LNG in Creek, some one third of the project financed by the European Union. The European Union also financially supported the Trans-Adriatic pipeline, but it, it uh, totally avoided, let's say, the Russian pipelines. And the uh, first country in this chain is, is Azerbaijan, so it transports Azeri gas. So the situation is totally different. And for example, the Creek LNG terminal was in line with the US interest as well, which really pushing for uh, diversifying the Eastern Europe European uh, non-Russian parts, the uh, diversification in the gas sector, and, uh, and they Russians also had interested to... in liquefied gas, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, they can they can sell the their shell gas. Uh, and the point is that, but I also think that we should uh, emphasize that the Balkan region is an underdeveloped region. The gas market is extremely underdeveloped compared to the western part of the European Union, but they have uh, so limited financial sources. So they are not these countries are not able to build their uh, gas infrastructure, but they have great powers in the neighborhood who are really ready to, to, to finance this project and they just accept for various, of course, economic reasons, political reasons. And one last issue that we should also take into consideration, in that part of Europe, the population is really sensitive to the uh, energy prices uh, and governments probably stemming from the communist time, uh, are doing everything in order to keep them low, which makes lots of projects really unfeasible. Uh, especially if you look at the renewable energy uh, issues. 
uh, and uh, high prices can can lead, easily lead to um, political crisis. Like in the early months in 2013, the Bulgarian government, Borisov government, had to resign due to the protests uh, due to the electricity prices. So it's let's say it's not a, not a game. It's an important game to secure the low prices. And of course, governments are usually don't want to take the risk to lose the next elections. I would just like to highlight the Russians' ability, how it can switch from one project to another, because just as Russia uh, saw that the South Stream can be realized because of some reasons, it can switch to the Turk Stream project and can realize the project, which by it can also can uh, deliver gas to the European markets and can be still a dominant player in the European market because of course it's a vital interest of Russia to be a dominant player and be the dominant player in the in the European market because it, it means them a lot of political leverage of course and, and a lot of geopolitical influence in the, in the region. Yeah, yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, well, we are recording this podcast in Budapest, Central Europe. My question is to, to David, how Hungary can profit from the new energy routes coming through Balkan or can it can it profit from from these routes or for example creation LNG terminal and of course uh, the other routes mentioned yes uh, regarding to Hungary it's also a very very important and vital question to how our country can diversify its energy suppliers because 60 70 percent of the of the country's energy consumption is provided by imports so it's also very regarding to energy security it's a very serious and significant question how our country can diversify its importers the maybe the most significant which we can talk about now is the LNG uh, terminal in in the island of Kirk which Hungary already can import 1 billion cubic meters in the period between 2021 and 2028 so it means one tenth of the country's energy imports so yeah for example the LNG terminal in the island of Kirk can contribute the country's energy security in the long run yeah, because right now uh, these flows are not coming yet right it's just uh, it, they're still negotiating the capacity which you just mentioned it's probably it will come hopefully but it's not yet something which is happening right yeah but how to say um it's already a really good bargaining card if you have this option concerning Russia because Russia is the main supplier in it's, the region. It's like around 80% of our gas import, right? Yeah, something like this, something like this. Yeah, uh, of course it can vary uh, depending on the Hungary negotiators as well. And probably the Turk stream finalization in Hungary will have Hungary to get better prices. We will see what, uh, what will happen. Uh, on the other hand, in the Hungary energy mix, uh, the share of gas is declining. So a couple of years ago, it was around more than 40%. Right now, it's around 25%. Of course, it's changing. Uh, but Hungary, because of this, the, the already built gas pipelines, interconnectors, and so on, is supplied from the west, north, east, whatever. And uh, we already get this LNG terminal in the neighborhood. Uh, so concerning the gas consumption, uh, the Hungarian market is, let's say, safe. And also Hungary, uh, after the 2008-2009 Russian-Ukrainian crisis, decided to increase to build a huge storage capacity, which is already operational. So Hungary is already much better position than it was, for example, more than one decade ago. Uh, 
and also uh, due to the already mentioned European guidelines, the Hungarian economy, the Hungarian energy infrastructure is uh, also had to be more linked to the renewable energy. So it will change. Uh, it will change in the in the upcoming future. Uh, the whole market is 100% sure, but. Uh, to have more diversification option, it's always uh, a good security option, uh, not just for the energy uh, supply security, but also to uh, bargain better prices, not just from the American, for example, but more importantly from Russia. I have one last question in the end. Actually, it's two questions. But <laughs> uh, one part of the question is that this energy flows pipelines which were built recently um, considering the the share of the gas uh, or these traditional energy sources so considering that it's decreasing will these huge investments we are talking about tens of billions of uh, of euro in in total for these projects will they these investments return are the building of these pipelines is still uh, like visible and potentially good for <laughs> for investors in the long run and the other part of the question is that if you're talking about energy market and the prices, the supplies, energy supplies coming from through the Balkans, is it making the prices higher for the countries buying it through these roads than, for example, buying Russian gas coming from the friendship pipeline? Or the prices are still connected to the uh, general gas market and then it, it doesn't matter where is the gas for, coming from? From my point of view, uh, yeah, this is the $1 billion question. <laughs> so it's really, really difficult to uh, answer. Uh, I I think that uh, the main investors or the, from the Russian side, uh, they are optimistic concerning the feasibility of this project and they count that, okay, uh, they will get everything back, uh, probably not sooner, but later. Uh, it's really interesting that why the European Union uh, is counting uh, decreasing uh, in gas consumption, according to Gazprom, for the next decade, it will be stable or even it can increase. Uh, concerning the whole European Union, and this is the case in the Balkan countries because, as I mentioned, yeah, they are they have an underdeveloped infrastructure, but it's already changed or it's changing. On the other hand, their coal reserves are also decreasing. Uh, for example, in case of North Macedonia, which of course a small Balkan country, until today heavily uh, relying on uh, its uh, own coal reserves for in, in t around in. 10 years, uh, their, their, uh, its reserves will be uh, depleted. So they should do something in order to cope it. Or in the case of Bosnia, which is a much better situation from this point of view, had to face with the decarbonization of the Euro policy of the European Union, which is, of course, Bosnia is not a EU country, but uh, the EU rules by uh, um, hindering uh, the trade uh, from, for example, from electricity produced by coal from Bosnia, which is an ongoing issue, will push uh, the Bosnian economy to, to, to do something else. So I think it will be really determinant, uh, but concerning the feasibility of this project, uh, as far as I see, the Russians are totally optimistic. And there is another issue, uh, which is more difficult to, to really measure the political leverage they gain. And also we have local elites, uh, like in case of Serbia, uh, where uh, practically this uh, gas sector is monopolized by the Socialist Party. 
probably they have a really well embedded um, entrepreneurial circle, uh, which is closely related to the state. So it's much more than simply economic issue. It's more political and uh, client tourism and so on. And uh, it's not that easy to measure, but it's really important part of the picture. What about the prices? Do we know the prices if they are higher? Because I, I know that the contracts usually are not public, but can we know anything about the potential difference between the prices from different sources? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, but I see that, yeah, it's usually uh, takes the prices lower. So probably it will be more beneficial, but it's always linked to the international market. So last year it was, a, let's say, catastrophe for the oil and gas prices. Contractors could not, uh, so it's more difficult to cope with this situation. And uh, I think right now the, these countries are better situation to bargain a better price. But not just because of that they have a pipeline, but because of the really fastly changing nature of the gas markets. So Turkey right now, it's much better position to get Russian uh, gas than it was, for example, one decade ago. And not just because of the Turk stream, but because of uh, the whole uh, the transformation of the whole gas market. And also the appearance of renewables with mass EU financial support in the Western Balkan countries can also, of course, affect their energy mix and after they can say that okay we can have a better price uh, if Russia would like to do something uh, and uh, it's really important that to see that uh, even if in several countries the Russian uh, the share of Russian gas supply is ultimately high for example in Bosnia uh, so they give 100% of the Bosnian gas the gas percentage of the Bosnian energy mix is just around 5%. So if there is any kind of trouble, I think that they can handle it somehow from the international markets and so on. And they have also an energy terminal not so far from the Bosnian borders, so they have more option to get better prices. If I would like to be honest, in one hand, I would rather ask, is the Soren gas corridor could fulfill its aim? It means a uh, high supplies for the European Union. I would say no, because that uh, 10 billion cubic meters, which just came from the shores of Azerbaijan and which is not Russian gas, means just like a drop in the ocean and it will just mean as a supply for Bulgaria, Greece and Turkey. So in an EU-wide uh, dimension, I would say the Soaring Gas Corridor couldn't fulfill the ultimate aim of the EU to diversify highly its energy suppliers. But a bit I'm also would like to highlight the role of the Soren Gas Corridor and especially the Trans-Adriatic Pipeline section of the Soren Gas Corridor, which because it could have some very good effects in the Balkans regarding their energy infrastructure, which we will see in the future, just thinking about the Union Adriatic Pipeline or the Greece-Bulgaria interconnector, which couldn't be realized with, without the Adriatic Pipeline. So it will have good effects on the Balkans in the long run, of course, as well. Okay, thank you very much for this speech and uh, podcast. I would recommend our materials on Danube Institute's website on this issue. You can find all the materials in the topic and I hope uh, you enjoy the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Yeah.